Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Thank you. Cars, trucks, and more. The vehicles featured inside of television series and movies aren't just for transportation. They transport us like a time machine. Whether it's times in our past, our times in our potential future, they have an amazing impact on who we are. I'm Mike Wilkerson, the pop culture TV movie guy, providing you with details, education, and perspective about the programs and films. And I'm Ron Ryland, the car guy, with the connections to people all over who, like me, know a lot about cars. Fasten your seatbelts and tweak the rear view. It's time for another episode of TwoGuysTalkingCars.com. When I was a kid, Happy Days was one of the most prolific programs on television. What I remember from that was a red-headed Richie Cunningham, his family, and the rocking around-the-clock world of those that worship the Fonz and all things drive-in diner. The cars, the stories, the innocence, and roller skates. It was a different time with different morals and truly completely different lifestyles. No electronic things to take up your time. Tons of steel awesome to capture your gaze. Time to slick your hair back, grab a cherry Coke, and rev your engine because it's time for the Two Guys Talking Cars perspective review of an American classic, American Graffiti, 1973, directed by George Lucas, here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm Ron Riling, your other host. We have super pleasure inside of the studio to have Mike from Gary's Automotive here to talk about some cars that you really do remember, don't you, Mike? I do. We're going to be talking about all of them, everything from the Vespa that you see for the, the first time inside of the beginning of the film, all the way down to what is a terribly crashed car that really didn't get crashed at the end. But we'll talk about them all inside this perspective review. A little bit of housekeeping quick. Mopar. Mike, what does Mopar mean to you? Chrysler. Yeah? What's your favorite Mopar of all time? Challenger. Challenger, what year? 68. 68? Is there a color you envision when you think of this Challenger? Purple. Like that deep? Plum crazy. Plum crazy purple, right. Plum crazy purple. And is that from another movie that we haven't yet reviewed, or is that just no, that, a, that was, that a that common was, color? That's a common color for the, for the Mopars. Oh, it was. Okay. Well, and the reason we're talking about Mopar is mostly because... There's not a lot of Mopar inside of this movie, but no. there is a ton of Mopar inside of the top 10 best Mopars in TV and movies that Ron and I have reviewed that you can all find right now over at twoguystalkingcars.com. Make sure you check that out when you're done listening to this review of American Graffiti. Remember also that inside of this review, we're going to have links to all the things that we're going to talk about, whether it's pictures of the cars, the Blu-rays, the links to the cast, the actual details about the money that we're going to talk about, all of those links you can find over at twoguystalkingcars.com forward slash American Graffiti. Soundtrack, too. Oh, and soundtrack, too. That's right. Soundtrack is going to be a huge thing that we talk about inside this movie. Two Guys Talking American Graffiti. The Hype. So the hype inside of our reviews is one of the very special things, and even more special, because this is a period piece. Well, this was made not too long after, uh, in 1973, this was made... uh, uh, not too long after the time that they're talking about, it's now been a long time after the time that they were talking about, as well as the movie that was made. And so I'm wondering where you guys saw this movie and what the theater experience was like way back in 1973. Ron? 
I was a junior or a senior in high school, mm-hmm. and we I'm going to guess we probably saw it at the drive-in. Drive-in, okay. That would make some sense. Because I don't, I don't really remember, but I, that that there weren't a lot of choices in St. Charles then yeah. to go to the movies. And describe the drive-in back then in 1973, because I'm assuming it's way oh. different than something I would have seen in even the 80s. Oh, you just crammed the car full of all your friends. Mm-hmm. Usually had some uh, adult beverages you weren't supposed to have. Uh, I know nothing about that, Ron. Sorry, uh, I can't help you. There might be a couple, two, three, four guys in a trunk. It's cheap for them to get in, and <laughs> and that was part of the thrill, you know, sneaking sneaking in. And sure, maybe if you were lucky and you knew somebody that worked the driving, you could come in the back way. Oh yeah, you know, it was all gravel, mm-hmm. giant screen. You'd pull up, roll your windows down, pull the speaker in. And off to the races you go. Awesome. And so do you remember if you did see it in a drive-in, were you actually paying attention to the movie? This one I probably was. Okay, cool. And Mike, tell me more about when you first saw this and where you saw it. Well, honestly, when I first saw it, because I was just 11 when it came out, so Mm -hmm. I I know I didn't see it at the drive or anything, because I always loved that era. I always do love that era. I love the music from that era. Mm -hmm. I rented the video. And when the the VHS was real popular, we rented it. I took it home, watched it. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite movies. Well, and that's very interesting that Ron saw it when it was essentially live when he was in high school. You saw it on VHS, and frankly, guys, I have never seen this movie all the way through ever until when we needed to review it for this. And so the first time I saw it was on American Blu-ray, which means you have the the deep colors and all the imperfections that you would have never been able to see either on, especially inside of the drive-through, but more importantly on VHS. You'd have never seen anything. Uh, the sound was spectacular. Right. Um, they've gone back and remastered the audio inside of it. And while you'd think that because it was directed by George Lucas, they would have went back and added in some special effects creatures or <laughs> spaceships flying around or something, they didn't. Uh, what is included inside of the Blu-ray, though, as I watched it, was some astounding features where they go back to the people that made the film and talk about what they remember from making the film. It really is something special that we'll talk about it during this entire review. Um, but that's actually where we ask you to first call the audience. Where do you remember seeing or watching American Graffiti, either back in 1973 when it came out, or later on, either via VHS or DVD or whatever else you've watched it on, a digital download you can now get it on. So tell us where in the spectrum you fall of watching American Graffiti over at twoguystalkingcars.com. Do you remember what the ticket price was, Ron? Uh, no, I have no idea. It was probably like 10 bucks for a carload. For a carload. Yeah. Okay. And when you were renting your video, did you say you rented it or you bought it? Rented it. Rented it. Do you remember what that cost? I have no idea. No idea. Okay, well, my Blu-ray was $6.83. <laughs> and we'll link up to the Blu-ray as well inside of this uh, review. Again, over Two Guys Talking Cars forward slash American Graffiti. Two Guys Talking. American Graffiti. The money. I love to talk about movie money because it really does showcase something completely different way back then in 1973 than what you see now. Best example I can think of is what is now the leading movie in movie history for beginning weekend totals in Jurassic World, making over almost half a billion dollars in just its first three days. It's, it's, it's astounding money. It is groundbreaking money and something totally different than what was happening way back then in 1973. Mike, this is where we ask you, do you have any idea what this made uh, when it first came out? Any idea? I do not. Okay. Ron? When it first, on opening weekend? Mm-hmm. Not on opening weekend. I know, I know, I looked, I found a total for 
today. Oh, you did? Yeah. What was that number? $200 million. $200 million. And that's to date. For those of you who don't know, that's going to include all of the movie uh, tickets that were bought back then. Ron's carload of $10 thievery going on with the people tucked into the trunk. All of the rentals. All of the DVD buys, and I'm guessing a lot of what's going on inside of the Blu-ray sales as well is, is included into that number. That's an astounding number, especially for a movie that cost only, what was it, Ron? It was... $1.27 million to make it. $1.27 million to make. And that was back then, though. So that was that was a quite a bit of money back then. I think but we figured we, out the average movie... It was about a million bucks. Yeah, it was about a million bucks. Right. Then, so. Almost across the board for something that had the look, the star power, the quality... Uh, those are numbers you're going to see back then at a million dollars in 1973. So, uh, again, I, I love looking at things like that because it does become another corn combine of cash inside of what is prospective movie review looking. Uh, it made a ton of money, and unfortunately, what does a ton of money mean, Ron? I wouldn't know. Well, it means sequel. <laughs> okay. And we'll talk about the sequel later on inside to? this review. No, we don't, but we will. <laughs> Two guys American Graffiti. The good. Tons to talk about in this movie that are good. And I can't wait to get into it, so let's dig in. Rocking Around the Clock song. Now, again, I was born in 1970. Mike, when you were born? 62. 62. And Ron, you're... 55. 13, 1913, something? No, 1864. 1864. Right after the Civil War. Okay, Mr. Highlander, thanks so much. What year was it? 55. 55. Okay. So when I remember, I, the first song that I hear inside of this is Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and the Comets. And I remember that song instantly. It is exactly the same song with almost exactly the same visuals as this movie opens up in Happy Days. The only thing that's missing is the spinning label of Happy Days inside of the beginning of the movie. That's the only thing that's missing. I'm instantly catapulted into the vision of, oh, it's going to be more Happy Days. What's well, not? In fact, there, it couldn't be more different than Happy Days, except for maybe the kind of the time and that a lot of it happened in front of a diner and that you have kind of the, the same age kids that are interacting. But there's a lot that's different inside of this movie compared to especially Happy Days. Well, speaking of Happy Days, today is Al from Al's Diner. Oh, really? Pat Nin- Morita or the, old, the original Al? No, not the, not the Asian guy. Okay. The second guy. That was, his name was Al. Yeah, the Asian guy Nin- is also Mr. Miyagi. You know yeah, that, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. 96 today. 96 today. Oh, and he's still alive. Yeah. Oh, my God. I did not know that. Well, that's amazing. We'll, uh, we'll link up to him inside of the Internet Movie Database, too, because I don't know anything that he's done recently. If he's doing Woke anything. Woke up breathing, so that's pretty good. <laughs> no, that's amazing. I'll be sure to... I, I did not know that. That's uh, that's great. And he's been in a ton of things, too. Uh, I remember him from The Odd Couple. Right. He was the cop and I... Uh, Maury? I think I think his name was Maury. Murray. 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 His name was Murray. Yeah. And he was spectacular in that as well. That's great. That's a, that's a great little piece of trivia. Uh, anyway, the Rocking Around the Clock song, as well as a whole bunch of other songs, were... It's the pinnacle moment inside of this that really does push you through the entire film. <laughs> Baby actors reviewing the cast as well as their automobiles. Everyone knows that there's a ton of people inside of this. But there's also a bunch of cars that are directly attached to each of the actors. And that was one of George Lucas's intentions. There were two things happening inside of this movie that a lot of people don't know. One, they wanted to attach cars to people. But then they also wanted to attach music to every one of the scenes inside of this movie. Which is, in 1973, groundbreaking. Nobody was doing that. You didn't go to another scene and start another song. You cut from that one and then go to another song and another scene. It did not happen back then. This was the one. And you'll find that it is 
really propelled a lot of now modern day movie making where there's a song or a soundtrack or songs inspired by blah that are featured inside of movies or inside of soundtracks that you can buy. Well, a lot of the extras in the movie, they got to be an extra because of the car they brought. Yeah. Yeah. So well, that, I, I still think that happens quite a bit. The uh, All of the Fast and Furious movies, all of those are also filled with cars that are essentially there's going to be a giant movie filming and we're looking for really hot looking cars. Uh, there's going to be a tryout. So there was a tryout. There wasn't just a come and bring your car. Right. Uh, but they do that, too, because they want they want the people that have the vehicles so that they don't have to have the slashing budget to go and either build them or pay people to bring them in. Although I think they do. I think they do now. I, I love that. I love that you're involving the people that are involved in that time period because it, it's instant get. It's also instant audience when the movie comes out. Right. And George Lucas knew that as well. He knew that including the people that had the cars that propel this time and this flavor of movie, having them involved was an instant ticket sale when the movie came out because why would they not want to go and see their movie along with all their idiot friends and right. the people that they shoved into the trunk and right. everybody else. So it was um, really spectacular. And again, that, uh, that the, all the vehicles are tied to people as well as the songs. We're going to talk about all of that. Well, one thing I thought was interesting from the commentary was that without American Graffiti, Star Wars doesn't happen. Yeah. It was like a tied in. Okay, he was shopping Star Wars around. Nobody was interested. He gets this and he kind of sells the two ideas together. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do American Graffiti. And if that works out okay, then we can see about doing your science fiction movie. Yeah. And a little bit of, we'll, we'll talk this in here too because I think it's appropriate. You have to remember too that the original concept and script for American Graffiti is not what happened inside this movie. The original script was tossed out with the original first two writers that eventually came back on to help him write this and flesh out more of the characters and give some story push to it. But the original concept for it, out the window. Right after the first, uh, essentially, clay pigeon moment for American Graffiti, George shops it around to everybody inside of Hollywood. And everybody goes, nah, you know, I'm not really interested. It doesn't sound interesting. Um, so he got some friends to help him write some more so that it would look interesting. And it still got voted down. So those two people went on to a different project to direct. George went to Europe to just be in Europe for a while to study film and do whatever. And when he came back, he realized that he needed to start fresh with a new script on American Graffiti. And that's when he started to take a snapshot of his own life and put the snapshots of his life across these characters so that the characters that you see inside of here, whether it's Kurt or Steve or John, Toad, Bob, all of them, those are all pieces of George Lucas's life, essentially, that are grafted onto characters and then showcased through the cone of a movie camera. And that's where you get the generation of what happened inside of this movie. It's, uh, again, it, it is not the best movie. We're going to talk about that later. But that's where the, the, the little seeds for this movie came from. The first of many. Kurt's 1967 Citroen. So this is that goony little blue car that looks like a... When I saw it, I thought instantly of a Le Car from, from back in the 80s. The yellow... I mean, it looks like a kind of dome on the back with a little funny shunt snout on the front. It looks like a, a, a VW a bug mated with something. Yeah. Yeah, like a VW thing and a bug. Yeah. yeah. Got together and had a baby. That's kind of what it looks like. Anyway, the... It's singularly interesting. You look at it and you go, that's a really interesting car. And that's what this movie prided itself on, is you look at every single car, even the ones that aren't attached to somebody, and you're in instant awe. Mike, I think you can agree with that, aren't you? Right. And that particular car that that Kurt was at the diner with, Mm -hmm. that car now, if you look look at them, they're they're pretty valuable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the neat part is that it's a, a portion of that is because it's 
was in this movie, but it's because it was such a strange car. Uh, it's also an import, so that's also going to add to the value, especially being I like that it kept breaking down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it probably still does today. The neat part is that with cars like that, it doesn't cost a whole lot of money to fix it. No, and Kurt was played by Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah, and does everyone like Richard Dreyfuss inside this film? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He, I, I think of the people that are inside of this film, he probably graphs on to me the difference is that I didn't hang out with car gangsters inside of their car, otherwise I'm going to be killed. I didn't have any of that. Yeah, the pharaohs. Yeah. Uh, the Pharaoh's cars. We don't have that here on the list. Let's talk about that too. Fifty-one Mercury. The fifty-one Mercury that the Pharaohs have inside of this film is phenomenal. I don't actually know what color it is, although it kind of looks like the shirt that Mike is wearing. It's that yeah, it's kind of a purple, deep maroon, yeah. purple. Right. The thing that Ron and I noted about everything, even in these old ancient pictures you can find online, which are also over at Two Guys Talking Cars forward slash American Graffiti, is that the paint is so deep. Uh, for those of you that have never seen a, a car that's painted, we're going to call it deep painting, it looks like the color, like you could reach your hand into it and you could pull your hand out and it would, like you took a ladle to some soup and that, it would just come out like that. And every single one of these cars, even what you think, oh, a flat white car, even the flat white car was painted extraordinarily. Just all of them had snap and pop and it showed totally inside of every one of these cars. And the Pharaoh's Mercury has a rock and roll connection. David Lee Roth owned that car from really? Van Halen. Oh, wow. And, and then he sold it to the Stray Cats leader, Brian Setzer. Oh, wow. And I love Brian Setzer. Brian Setzer's another guy that's kind of stuck in 1955 and revels in it. Uh, that he's included in orchestra now is probably the only step out of his traditional music. But uh, he, he's another phenomenal piece of music that continues to inspire and push along that 50s doo-wop electric metal guitar that is a lot of fun to listen to regardless of what your musical interests are well, he's doing the stand-up bass and- mm-hmm. yeah lots of fun again the stray cats the when he was coming through as well those are also super super indicative of the time period steve's 1958 impala well how about this car guys i like that car fell in love with it how could you not fall in love with this car? The, the the fins instantly strike you. The the back end of this car looks unlike anything else that I think I've ever seen. The neat part, too, is that you can look at traditional, even today, Impalas and still get hints. Even with the, the cars becoming now kind of used bars of soap, as they have over the last 10 or 15 years, you can still get some of the iconography that comes through from that because the, the back taillights, they're a little higher than everybody else's as was that original back end of that car. The other thing that strikes me too, and I think strikes everybody, there's so much steel and chrome inside of all of these cars. Well, 58 was the birth of the Impala. That was the first year for the Impala. Yeah. And that was the only year they had that body style too, right? Because 59, right. They, the fins go out to the side. 59, and... they changed the style of it even more, but that was that was a, a, a diversion from the 55, 6, and 7 Chevys that were out there mm-hmm. that pretty much had the same body styles but had some tweaks here and there on the front ends and the back ends. But the 58 Impala was the first year that it came out. What was the power plant inside that car, Mike? You could have had most probably uh, – most of them were probably 283. They were, most of them were probably 283. Uh-huh. There was a uh, 265, which was the original V8 mm-hmm. back in 55. The 283 was a little bit on steroids. Sure. Which first came out in 57. But then in 58, they went one step further and created the 348. Wow. Which is a uh, more of a version of a big block. It's, it's, it's totally different than any small block Chevy you would see. Mm-hmm. What kind of horsepower are we torquing there? 
it wasn't that much of a horsepower engine. You know, they they developed it. That was the first year for it, mm-hmm. and they brought it up through, uh, which finally gave birth to the 409, which everybody knows the Beach Boys song 409. Mm-hmm. It was a unique year. I I love the car. How big was that car? Was that a big old boat? Which huge. huge. Yeah. It's yeah. Huge. Heavy, heavy car. Yeah. In comparison, now we've done another perspective review on Christine. Well, where does it stack up against the size? Probably right about there. Right about there? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Remember, you can also go look at our Christine review over at Two Guys Talking Cars forward slash Christine. That was a phenomenal one, too. The Being able to talk about these types of cars that they just simply do not make anymore. They Anything that comes out, no matter what class at this point, has nothing that carries the flavor and the panache of cars like this. Let's talk a little bit about Steve, since we're talking about his Impala. Of course, it's Ron Howard. And Ron Howard in this, it's it's something that we'll get to later for sure. You add the music on, and you add him being one of the first people that you see inside of this movie, and I'm like, hey, it's Richie again. Awesome. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Right. Because Steve is a self-absorbed asshole in this movie. Right. That was a rub for me because I, I, I kept seeing the – I heard the voice and I saw the, the quirky Adam's apple moving as he was talking and then the red hair glint and I'm like, wait a second. He's not the, he's not the nice kid anymore. What, what, what happened here? And so that took me a little bit out of the picture as I was watching the movie because of that. It's the single thing I could say was a negative for me inside of the movie. Well, it wasn't because that I, bad. He gave Toad the car. Oh, he did. In fact, it's something else I want to talk about about this car. Uh, you're probably again from that era, but would you like just go? Hey, here's the keys to my car. No, oh, I don't have a keys, and give them give them to anybody. Oh, that that happened pretty regular. Why? Explain that, because I don't. Uh, it was uh, different. You weren't going to steal their car. Usually, the kid had dad parents had a lot of money. I went to school. The kid had a '67 vet. He let anybody drive it. Wow, I, that's alien to me. I, I'm trying to imagine any time in high school, any car that I ever had, just going here. Why don't you take care of my car? And I'm like, why, alien. <laughs> Alien, alien entity. I can't even imagine that. Mike? Well, things were things were different back then. Oh yeah. I mean, even you know, I graduated in 1980, mm-hmm. and I've got friends to this day. I would throw them my keys without a second of a doubt. Say, take it. You need it. Bring it back when you're done with it. You know, I, it's I'm, just I'm, I'm the same way. It just it never enters my mind that there would be a problem with it. Interesting. And that's actually another great call to the audience. Would you guys just, uh, on a whim, throw your keys to somebody? Whether uh, Let's be clear, to a friend. I'm not talking about somebody walking down the right. street, hey, here's my keys. Right. Uh, a friend, a good friend, would you just toss your keys to your car, to that person, and let them drive around for at least a day, I think is what we're looking at here in regard to time span? or end of this No, movie. it's overnight. It is overnight. Yeah. Okay. Again, uh, would you do that? Let us know what you think by going to Two Guys Talking Cars. Click anywhere on the top right-hand side of the page. Fill out that quick web form. And let us know, would you give your keys, whether it's the car you got now, or a delicious 1958 Impala to one of your buddies to go drive and do whatever you want. See you later. Not Mike. (laughs) Not Mike. You know, and this is in the early 60s, so that's only like a four- or five-year-old car maybe, depending on when they're doing it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, I mean, I can relate because right now I have a two-and-a-half-year-old car, and none of them. I, I don't not trust my friends. Maybe if their stuff was broken or something, but just like, hey, it's Thursday. Here, take my car. <laughs> John's 1932 Deuce Coupe. I want to start this by talking about the generation of the word Deuce Coupe. Well, it's a, it's a Deuce Coupe because it had... Well, the one in the movie has four two-barrel carburetors on it. Okay. The two-barrel carburetors are deuce. Got it. So Got it's it. a deuce coupe. Mm. The car's a coupe, and then the carburetors were, were deuces. Got it. So you, you could have 
one two-barrel carburetor, two two-barrel carburetors, or four. And we talked a little bit about this in the preamble too, Ron. The, the 1932 Deuce Coupe, is it always the 1932 because it was the 32 in this one? Or is that just a year that is popular to That's a real the, popular year, isn't it, Mike? 30, 30, 32 Ford? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. like one of the most. Well, it was, they were easy to take the, take the hood off, take the fenders off, lighten mm-hmm. the car up. and. Cram, are there other years that are turned into Deuce Coupes or not? not and if I they remember, are, does anybody care? Not that, not that I, you know, I, I can speak for it now because I, I'm into the old cars mm-hmm. with what I'm doing now. Sure. A 32 Ford steel body, mm-hmm. which would be an original body, they bring a pretty hefty amount. Oh, they now, do. You, you can get 32 Ford kit cars fiberglass bodies and stuff like that but you're still if you buy a kit car you're still looking thirty forty thousand dollars wow and you know power powertrain anywhere you want but uh, what is something original steel run if we're at thirty forty thousand dollars for a fiberglass one original steel seventy eighty thousand that's amazing that's a finished car too. it's a yeah it's, it's a finished car but it's seventy eighty thousand but well, it's, it's at, a highly sought after vehicle at sema there's a whole section just for hot rods you can like mike said you can you can walk down the aisle at sema mm-hmm. and say i'll take that frame that body those fenders that interior i mean you could build a whole car on a trip through sema wow that's amazing uh, you talked about a little of the work that you do now why don't you tell us about gary's automotive real quick gary's auto service we're uh, located in florence missouri we're mm-hmm. a general independent repair shop mm-hmm. we do all repairs and maintenance in all vehicles mm-hmm What's been some of the most interesting repairs you've had in, say, the last 10 years? Interesting repairs. Mm-hmm. Well, the first one that comes to mind was a uh, Cadillac CTS that was towed into us. And I don't know that I've ever seen this before, but the lady said she was driving and the vehicle quit. Had it towed in and we opened the hood up and the timing chain was sitting on top of the motor. <laughs> Never have seen that before in my life. <laughs> I don't uh-huh. know that I've ever seen that in my life. Yeah. And I'm not an automotive guy. Yeah, it was just wadded up like a snake right on top of the intake. Oh, speaking of snake, that's my best one. Guy comes in with a Ford van. Yeah. Evaporators dumping the water from the air conditioner inside on the floor. Mm-hmm. The drain's plugged up. Okay. There was a snake in it. A snake in it, wow. So we had to like take a coat hanger and you pull it. had to snake it. the snake. Had to snake the snake out in pieces. <laughs> and then when I worked with Mike for the phone company, the truck was in a flood, and they opened the hood, and a big old black snake fell out on the ground. Oh, wow. Flood of 93. That was oh, wow. interesting. Oh, and that's the year I moved here, actually. In fact, that's the flood that flooded me out of my first apartment. Yeah. We got here, and a month and a half later, we got flooded out of our apartment. That sucked. <laughs> Hated that. You but know. I didn't hate the 1932 Deuce Coupe in this movie. That yellow that they have it painted, and the again, the chrome all over the place, whether it's inside the engine compartment. Well, the whole front the end scant bunders, The whole front end, yeah. Uh, we'll have pictures again up at twoguystalkingcars.com that will showcase all of this, and it is... A tremendous beauty and just a total eye popper. Did you say that it had been destroyed or just sold off a number of times? Or I remember something else too that you'd mentioned about it. In 1983, after the more American Graffiti movie, Steve Fish acquired the coupe in a sealed auction bid. He had previously acquired the movie's black 55 Chevy. Mm-hmm. In 1985, Rick Figari purchased the coupe. Rick then entrusted the coupe to Roy Brizio's shop in South San Francisco to make it roadworthy again. Work included rewiring and rebuilding the T10 four-speed, aluminizing the chrome headers, and making stronger front fender brackets. The 327 was also rebuilt. A funny note about the coupe, after the film was finished, they tried to sell it and couldn't get the asking price of 1500 bucks. Today, both the 32 Ford Coupe and the clone of the 55 Chevy are owned by San Francisco resident Rick Figari. Interesting. Can you imagine fifteen hundred for that, Mike? 
I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take five, please. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Again, you never know what happens, what's going to happen with the cars, but for the people that own them now, they really do know what kind of a gem they have. Absolutely. Yeah. Toad slash Terry's 1959 Piaggio Vespa GS162A. It's not everybody that can crash so effectively <laughs> inside of a movie, and it was done really wonderfully. <laughs> Mostly because it was a real crash. It wasn't a, well, here I'm going to act like I'm going to crash. He actually crashed the thing in the beginning of the film, and it was great. It worked out perfectly. The story I got from my dad to share about this was uh, he and my mom were on Vespas in Italy. Not too long before this, I was right before I was born, so 68, 69, and they were riding on Vespas in Italy, and that's essentially what you do in Italy is you grab scooters and you drive around on scooters. And very interesting. So you're saying you were conceived in Italy? Uh, no. Oh. No, definitely not. Definitely conceived in America. Okay. America. 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 Hell yeah. Bob Falfa's 1955 Chevy. Wow. Wow, that's a car. You like this car, Mike? 210, two-door sedan? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you remember most about it other than, hey, look, it's Han Solo driving it? Who? Yeah, you didn't know who Han Solo was. Yet. Yeah, Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah. Just the car. I'm a I'm a big 55, 67 Chevy guy. Mm-hmm. I've got a 56 Nomad sitting in my garage. Oh, you do? Okay, yeah. wow. That I just, uh, we just about got finished restoring. Oh, that's exciting. And What uh, color is that going to be? It is a, uh, it's a turquoise over white. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty, tremendous. Pretty car. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, well, yeah. And what year is your Nomad? 56. 56. Yeah, okay. This is a 55. And, uh, yeah, I like, I mean, just that was the whole thing. And then that was what I did with when I had a kid, though. So that was, I had a 64 Chevy SS Impala. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was myself and another guy around the area, Florissant area, that were, we were racing each other or racing <laughs> the police, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I could I could relate to Milner and Falfa wanting to square off, and cause that's what we did. Interesting, interesting. There were there were three fifty fives that they used uh, yeah. in the movie. Yeah, tell us about those, Ron. Well, there was three of them. Mm-hmm. There was the one they did the close ups in, the one they they drove, then the one they crashed. Now mm-hmm. uh, the two that didn't get crashed went on, and they were in two lane blacktop too, same mm. car. Oh okay. And I thought it was funny that they, they said that they couldn't get it to flip when they crashed at the end. They had to physically flip it over themselves. With some guys, yeah. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to, to make it be upside down after the crash. Yeah, yeah. And, boy, they smashed the hell out of that car at the end, too. And I'm really happy that it wasn't one of the, the good ones. Something that's horrifying inside of modern-day movie making now is that they do trash the ones that are the awesome cars. Uh, at least the ones that look awesome that could probably be have some life brought back to them. I, that's a that's a tear jerking moment. Um, one I remember the most probably is the Gone in sixty seconds, where there's I don't know oh, ten twelve cars that just yeah uh, all all of those uh, almost every single one of the Fast and Furious movies is exactly the same too, where there will be five or six cars in there that are gorgeous beauties that at the end are no longer gorgeous beauties at all. That's uh, that's really too bad. I'm, I'm, I'm again I'm hoping it's going to be where they've got multiples and they're crashing the one that looks awesome. But is the least actually foundational. Well, any more with the cars, they're going to have a, a double for the car. If you watch a lot of times, like you'll see a car. I forgot what movie it is. The car ends upside down. It's got mm-hmm. single exhaust on it mm-hmm. instead of headers it's a and dual everything. Whatever else, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Anyway, this one was uh, really interesting because the, they flipped the car for sure. But it 
it clearly is not the same car at the end either. No. So, uh, but it, again, it's movie making and it's, uh, did you know that or not? Something else about Bob Falfa is that the reason he was wearing a cowboy hat, do you guys know why? Because he had Han Solo hair. Well, not only did he have Han Solo hair, Han Solo slash Harrison Ford didn't want to be out of work for the time that he'd have to grow hair back from cropped hair. So that's why he had long hair and a cowboy hat on. He literally asked George, hey man, how about this instead? Put on the cowboy hat and George said, okay, that's fine. So that's why he has the the goofy hair and the cowboy hat on. And he hasn't changed that much. I mean, he's crashing a 55 Chevy or an airplane on a golf course. <laughs> yeah, crashing a plane. Hey, that he could land it was awesome though, right? Hey, he walked away from yeah. it. So. He walked away from that one as well as the crash of the gorgeous 1955 Chevy. The impact and originality of Wolfman Jack. Oh, yeah. How about this guy? I can't wait for this podcast to reach a whole new audience of people that have either never seen this film or never even heard of Wolfman Jack. Because we've got every manner, and podcasting is a really great sample, we've got every manner of personality you can imagine. But you know what we don't have, even in podcasting? We don't have Wolfman Jack. No. There is not a go-to guy inside of podcasting, and frankly, I think inside of radio currently, that you can go to and say, and that's our generation's Wolfman Jack. It just, haven't had one since him. No. Since him. Uh, the, uh, there's a tiny little piece that you get inside of this movie of him. George Lucas did a wonder for everybody inside of this movie by showcasing him. Because while it was very, very small, in fact, he doesn't actually give you the on-screen and now I'm howling like Wolfman Jack. Kind of a little bit like from behind him, but never in front of him. And hey, full-on Wolfman Jack. It is a sight to behold. We'll link up to some video of him Wolfman Jacking in front of a microphone because it is... It's unlike anything else. It's very much like what we've said. There there just is nobody like that anymore. Completely original. Uh, completely original. The ability to tie stories into what he's talking about and doing into the music. It is, uh, you could call him the original podcaster, frankly. Because yeah. the storytelling elements is what I love to bring in, inside of all of our podcasts. And he was doing it way back then. The Creep of Courting the Underaged. There are some very strange elements inside of this movie that have everything to do with talking to people that are clearly underage. And back then in 1973, it was a completely different age, completely different era, completely different perspective of, say, going out and being with your buddies almost all night and coming back in and nobody cared because you weren't going to disappear. So we get that a lot of that is protectoral, that it's didn't really matter back then because you didn't have a bunch of freaks looking for people to murder or rape or assault or whatever. There's at least three or four pieces of this movie that are very strange when you look in the cone of what today's viewpoint is. I mean, very strange. Like when Carol jumps in the with Milner? Yeah. And spends the night running around yeah. with him? Yeah. Her sister gave her up? Yeah. Yeah. And it's very strange. In fact, I think it's strange enough that if you got a generation of people that are much younger than we are they would think it's very strange you know holy creep are you kidding me what yeah there would be a lot of that so what i love about that not so much the creep part but what i love about showcasing it is that it really does show you a different age that this movie shows you a completely different era outright it's not just that right. they made a movie that's kind of set in the late 1950s it's not it's showcasing all of it where it was wide open Everybody could kind of do what they wanted, and you'd even have people that uh, we'll, we'll talk about how Ron Howard will give out keys to his buddies, 
But that helping other people was a completely different phenomenon back then. You would help people because the shields weren't instantly up on everybody back then. Hitchhiking was a big deal. It's huge. We'd always pick up hitchhikers and stuff. It, it was how a lot of people experienced the world, if not just North America, the world back then. And again, that has also completely changed. I wanted to make sure that we talked about that, though, because this really does paint a picture of something that you really can't get somewhere else. And I think it's very effective and it's very legitimate. It's not painted on. The Hunt of a Used Car Salesman. This was extraordinary because it's amazing to me while we'll talk about the strange courting of underage wow Mr. Creepy Factor. Used car salesmen haven't changed at all. It's the same damn guy that you can walk down the street. It is. It's the same guy. He just doesn't have the, the plaid outfit on anymore. Um, they usually have a polo shirt on now and khakis and they're ready to go. <laughs> but it is. It's exactly the same guy that is inside of this vision of this movie. It's like Jake from State Farm. <laughs> it is like Jake at State Farm with the khakis. That's great. That's right. Uh, I, again, I love that you can see the things that have changed completely and that are totally radical. And then things that are completely not radically changed at all because they can't. You have to be the used car salesman to sell used cars. Two guys talking. American defeat. Holstein rape. And courting of the youngins. This is very strange because the word Holstein rape is, of course, referring to the getting over on the police. I had never heard someone refer to a police officer as Holstein before. Did you guys heard that before? I haven't. I haven't either. Okay, well, I don't feel so bad then. I just know that I, we do another podcast on the network called WhatCopsWatch.com where we talk to police officers and What'd talk about what they watch. I haven't asked them yet. I'm no. going to ask Kevin I, I, about that. I think of Holstein, I think of a dairy cow. Yeah, I do too. Right. Well, and I get black and whites, so okay. black and white, I get it. So that piece, I mean, I understood it. The listening to it and processing it, thumbs up. But the yeah, I'm not that old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting, and I I would have never thought of referring to a police officer as that, but I get it. Han Solo blowing assessment off the road. Uh, this is interesting because. One of the neat factors about Han Solo, and I'm assuming you both know who Han Solo is, correct? Okay. One of the neat things about Han Solo is that he, too, is another completely different generation of what we're watching. He is not the late 50s uh, awesome steel car guy, except that he is. And in another series of movies, he is the suave, debonair scoundrel that travels space looking for people to be a scoundrel to. And then you watch as Harrison Ford's career grew into Indiana Jones and into a variety of other movies that have been not all so good, but still another step in his career. And you really have to marvel at what Harrison Ford has done in a career. He's done way more than just be in movies. He's done way more than showcase either spaceships or glorious cars. He really has transcended time. And I don't think that we have a lot of actors like that left. No. Uh, there's very few. Clint Eastwood is another that comes to mind because... He, too, while he's now a very old man, is still pounding the pavement inside of Hollywood to make movies that make a difference. He has so many movies that he's directed that I think are, really do strike me as, a, as an entertainment critic. But I love to see that, and it's another showcase inside of this movie that will live on forever because it's inside of a movie. Another great tip of the hat to Han Solo slash super-duper Bob Falfa, Harrison Ford. Two guys talking. American. I'll let you touch the upholstery. 
Wow, creepy. <laughs> and it doesn't even have to be that creep. Uh, here, 13-year-old, get into my car. Yes, I am 25. <laughs> it was very strange. I'll even let you touch the upholstery. Okay, all right. Weird. Uh, but it was interesting, and I can totally see it being a guide into getting a chick inside of your vehicle. Mike, have you ever used that line? No. No. Ron? No. Liar, you used that when we were coming in the studio today. You said you'll let me touch the upholstery. Shame on you. Anyway, it was something else I wanted yeah, but to know. You did it. Yeah. And something else I wanted to know because it definitely struck a chord as it was uttered three times. The soundtrack. And the focus of making music to fit a scene and people. Everyone knows if you listen to anything two guys talking, whether it's anything Ron and I do any of the now hundreds of thousands of millions of hours of podcasting I've done over a decade. I love talking about the soundtracks because not just in this movie, but every movie, whether it's the score or songs that are inserted inside of a soundtrack, the music instantly transports you to a completely different time in your life, to memories long gone by, and to things that you wish you could relive. That's nostalgia. Nostalgia is what drives a movie like American Graffiti. But in my opinion, it's what drives every movie. Because eventually, every movie is going to be an old movie that you could originally either get on only VHS or you could only see in the theaters. Or remember when it was only available on digital download? All of those days are going to come. It's just a matter of them happening. And that's the fun and the legacy of podcasting. You get to talk about things like that and then reflect on them. And inside of this movie, we are talking about the gold pot of music that nobody ever forgets, I think regardless of how old you are, because you're going to know all of these songs. Rock Around the Clock, Sixteen Candles, Runaway, Why Do Fools Fall in Love, That'll Be the Day, Fannie Mae, the names that you have in here. Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers, Del Shannon, The Crests, Bill Haley and the Comets, The Beach Boys, The Fleetwoods, The Platters, Joey D and the Starlighters, Barbara Ann, not done by the Beach Boys, by the way. Did you know that? Yeah, we saw, I saw it the other day. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Buddy Holly, Chuck Berry, The Silhouettes, Party Doll, The Dell Vikings, The Clovers, The Skyliners, The Big Bopper. The list goes on. There's actually... There's no king of rock and roll, though. Uh, true, there that, isn't. That, that would have made the movie better. I think it would have made it better, but my guess is that they Ooh. probably just couldn't figure out the licensing rights. What if, what if Elvis played Milner's role? What if? What if? How awesome would that have been? Would you have dug that, Mike? No. You hate Elvis, don't you? There's something wrong with you. <laughs> Elvis is awesome. Uh, Elvis's music in this, I'm guessing it has to be a licensing thing. Well, he was making movies already then, so oh. he, could have, he could have been under contract with the other studio or something. Yeah. Well, and again, my guess is that you just couldn't figure out how the licensing would work. But the, the bottom line is we're going to link over to all of the different soundtrack links that we found, and there's probably four or five. Everything from full disc uh, DVD versions of what is over 40 songs all the way down to what is a vinyl version of it that yeah. also has not nearly as many, but a whole bunch of the songs that are direct and complete issuance from American Graffiti. Just great stuff, super memorable and timeless. You can listen to it anytime and it instantly strikes a chord and a lot of fun to listen to. What's vinyl? <laughs> yeah, you know what? There's going to be people listening to this that are going to ask that. They're, those are those uh, plastic circular discs that you put in something called a record player. <laughs> the other day we found, going through some stuff, we found 
plastic 45 inserts. inserts. Yeah. And my kid goes, what's that? I said, it's for a 45 record. What's a 45 record? So it's I the gun I'm going to shoot you with because yeah. you don't know this. That's why. <laughs> pull one out and say, this is a 45 and this is what you do with it. Interesting. Interesting. And, and that, how old's that boy? 26. 26. <laughs> and see, I, I, I totally get it because records, the plastic, the vinyl stuff. How does somebody you... who knows everything not know that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the, 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 I totally get it, though. Because if it's off the board and you've never seen something that it would play with, you would never know what that little piece of plastic is ever. Right. That's very interesting. Very interesting. Something else I wanted to throw in here, too. A goodbye to James Horner. James Horner, for those of you that don't know, is a composer who has written thousands of hours of music to a variety of movies that echo still in my brain as I talk about him right now. Everything from... The movie I've watched the most in my life, Star Trek II, to a cavalcade of movies, Braveheart, most recently The Amazing Spider-Man. The big one that everyone knows him for is Titanic, Apollo 13. All of those earned him awards galore, as well as a giant list that we're going to list to inside of remembering James Horner, who unfortunately died yesterday in a terrible plane crash in California. Thanks for the memories, James. And Kathleen Quinlan, who played Peg in American Graffiti, was in Apollo 13. Really? Yeah, she's one of the wives. How'd you know that? So, so in this paper. Oh, okay, all right. This one right here. <laughs> I thought maybe you were Apollo 13. I found on the internet. It's got to be true. <laughs> the Apollo, Apollo 13 is another great movie that uh, my, my, my dream is to get Ron Howard, who directed that film, by the way, to have him come in and review that movie and provide some awesome commentary. Mostly because the commentary to his movie on the DVD and Blu-ray, that's some spectacular stuff. You guys talk about nostalgia. Watch someone talking as passionately as he does about the space program. It is amazing stuff. Him and uh, Akiva Goldsman inside of that movie are phenomenal. The detail that they provide and the why they showed pieces, parts of what inside that movie. Striking. Just really, really well done. That takes us to the mid part of this perspective review of American Graffiti 1973, directed by George Lucas. We're going to hit the commercials here real quick, and we'll be right back with more. It's not nearly as cool as the amber housing the ancient mosquito who had a taste of prehistoric dinosaur blood, but it does hold the thoughts of 1993's Jurassic Park, directed by Steven Spielberg. Be sure to check out a podcast 65 million years in the making by driving your custom branded Jeep over to twoguystalking.com forward slash Jurassic Park. It's the Two Guys Talking perspective review of Jurassic Park. 1993, directed by Steven Spielberg. Only from Two Guys Talking. Join in a unique, interactive experience as we put you inside the mind and heart of the law enforcement professional and delve into the culture of policing. Hi, I'm Mike Wilkerson from the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network where I've reviewed hundreds of police procedural television programs and movies. But the question remains, does Hollywood get it right? What does it really feel like when you search for a suspect inside an abandoned building? The fear. The adrenaline. The unknown. Law enforcement training for the arts, or LIDA, is an experience like no other. Fingerprints. Ballistics, 
DNA. Our team of professionals have numerous years in law enforcement to include those with experience in the United States Secret Service, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the FBI, the United States military, along with other local, state, and federal entities. Our unique facilities offer the same interactive courses that the police themselves use to train. This will be an experience of a lifetime that you'll never forget. Check out the details now at litaconference.com. That's L-E-T-A conference.com. And sign up for the upcoming convention. Seats are limited, but we're eager to see you behind the thin blue line. LitaConference.com. L-E-T-A conference.com. Go behind the badge. Are you a podcaster looking for the best discussion about podcasting by other podcasters? Be sure to grab a chair at the next Podcasters Roundtable, a program led by podcaster and videographer Ray Ortega, who, along with a growing cast of fellow seasoned podcasters, helps you understand the ins, outs, and roundabouts when it comes to the quickly changing world of podcasting. Check it out now at PodcastersRoundtable.com. That's PodcastersRoundtable.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective, on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it all out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Are you addicted to hot sauce, spicy foods, mouth-watering barbecue, chili peppers, or buffalo wings? Oh, yeah! Well, do we have something for you. Join Scott Roberts, host of the Weekly Firecast, a foodie podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network that features the best of fiery foods and barbecue. Whether you like cooking over fire or crave food that feels like fire in your mouth, there's bound to be something for you. So tune into the Weekly Firecast at twoguystalking.com Savor the burn. Everyone, welcome back to the Two Guys Talking Cars perspective review of American Graffiti, 1973, directed by George Lucas. Just as every movie has goods, there's also the bad. Two Guys Talking American Graffiti. I'm not going to bash everyone over the head with this but we've got to talk about it again little richie as the bad guy <laughs> it is the only break that put me in this movie at all uh, even the even the creepy hitting on the young stuff didn't get me as much as having to get over watching richie be an ass to his girlfriend cindy williams who also i think had the same thing i'm used to watching her being the kind of idiot no brain inside of laverne and shirley and right. here she is, still kind of being a no-brain. But you, you got him backwards. What a though. whiner! Just like get away from me. Go, go in the car and drive off a cliff. I don't want to talk to you. Because American, wow. American Graffiti was before Happy Days, so you saw Happy mm. Days first, then okay. went back. Uh, so actually, like for me, mm-hmm. boy, look what the hell happened to Opie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and it, maybe th- that's probably why it provides a better picture for you. I can totally see that. 
I can totally see that. Anyway, it's a it's a speed bump. I'm hoping that the audience will help me get over because boy, it's a rough one. Tell me why I can't get over. I don't know. I don't know. I can't either. But it's that's just a movie. It, it is just a movie. But I want you to help me get over by going over to Two Guys Talking Cars. Click on the contact form on the right hand side of the page. Fill out the web form and tell us what do you think and why Mike can't get over it. Two guys talking American graffiti. <laughs> The concept of drive-ins is gone. We all can name at least one drive-in. Ron, what would you name? If we had to name one drive-in oh, right now. Oh, from St. Charles? Yeah. Dog and Suds. Dog and Suds. What do you got, Mike? A&W. A&W. Okay. And I'm going to jump on the A&W board. Uh, that or uh, actually in Wisconsin. I'll, I'll grab the one from Wisconsin. That would be Lee's Dairy Treat. <laughs> and Lee's Dairy Treat was go and get your hot dogs, your burgers, and your ice cream. And I actually worked there when I was 16, so it was a very interesting paradigm for me. But there were no roller skates. Inside of my instance, there was very little neon, but you had that, there was this center core thing with a circular, you know, the circular roof, and people could come in and eat, or they could go get their stuff through the window. But we didn't have hops inside of the inside of the experience I had. Ron, did you have hops? Oh, yeah. Did you have roller skates? Uh, okay, I think one, like, only one... One day a week, they'd have roller skates. One day a week, okay. Yeah. I think it cost them too much when they have roller skates with root beers flying all over. And, <laughs> and Steak and Shake, they're car hop, they had car hops. They did? Yeah. And it, well, that's what we, see, that's what we did in high school. We cruised Steak and Shake. Okay. So you'd be lined up for an hour on First Capital in, in traffic trying to, so you could drive through Steak and Shake. Oh. And then you go down, turn around, and come back and go again. Because <laughs> everybody was there. Okay, well, that makes some sense. And yeah. that also speaks to cruising, which is something else we're going to talk about inside the legacy of the film. And then describe your experience inside of a drive-in, Mike. Drive-in, just the A&W experience. I mean, I I love the whole concept of it. I wish there was more of it nowadays. Well, that fresh root beer, let's talk about A&W real quick, because that fresh, out-of-the-jerk out root beer. Right. right. Their, their ice their, cream. Their, their, there is float. nothing anymore. In fact, the last one that I knew about in our area that was out off of uh, 94 and Jungerman, that one closed. Right. And the only place you can go now is the hybrid store that is an A&W slash Long John Silver's that's over in Bridgeton to get that, look, here's the, you go to the tap and get your root beer. But it's the only one, and it's almost always warm. It is never cold anymore. Right, right. It is a completely different experience. Also gone, the icy mug. How can you have an A&W root beer? Not in an icy mug. I don't want it in the little plastic El Crapo cup with ice in it. I want it in the frosty mug. And it's, it's one of the experiences I really want to give to what is now my 12-year-old daughter. She just turned 12. And she's got no experience like that at all. She's had the root beer float, both made at home and in a restaurant someplace. But she's never had that frosty mug root beer float with that ice cream that Ron's talking about in it. Yeah, It, it, it is heaven. It, it is a... It is a the other neat part is that the part of heaven that you remember from that run is the same heaven I remember because it wasn't different. And their menu, the Papa Burger, the Mama Burger, mm-hmm. the Teen Burger, the Baby Burger. Those all have remained for the most part. There's only I, there's only one other A&W that I know about. It's outside of Wisconsin. They, they still call them those? Or they, I, I don't think that they do. They just a hamburger now. Yeah, well, they've, they've opened it up to a variety of different names and showcases so that they can sell and become something right. like Applebee's as opposed to what was an original flavor and name and brand. And wow, what else do you remember about A&W and the driving I just, you know, it, it was experience. a funny experience because when I was a kid, when I was a teenager driving, 
we always came from Florissant to St. Charles because we didn't have one in Florissant. Sure. To the A&W on 2nd Street. 2nd Street. Mm. That's where we went. And know? I remember where that one was. Right. And uh, we were and that there. didn't close maybe, what, three, four years ago? No longer than that, now. Oh, is it now? Yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, okay. it was still around to where... It had we, A&W logo on it to it go in. It was A&W, get, but... El but Crapo Cup of A&W. What I thought was <laughs> a, such a kick was that I have three boys, mm-hmm. and when they were younger, we came over here once or twice, and they thought that was the neatest thing, yeah. that they come to your window, they f- give you the food, you eat in the car, and they just thought it was the greatest thing. Did the eating in the car thing ever get, like, terrible when you had your friends like spilling stuff all over the car usually well you were sitting still yeah so so it spill on you and you didn't care well everybody was pretty respectful of the other guy's cars because she took turns driving okay so if you trashed your buddy's car he's gonna trash yours (laughs) so we were all pretty respectful of each other's cars and stuff (laughs) nothing quite like pure revenge to drive your childhood that's awesome (laughs) that's awesome but that goes that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about throwing your keys and giving them to your butt. I mean, people just respected other people's property back then. You just didn't do that stuff. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. And I think what I really appreciate I didn't I didn't even think I was going to get this from this review is the the cone of age that we have inside the room is a perfect cone, a magnifying glass almost into three different eras. That's that's really amazing. I, Again, I, I love finding the chemistry set pieces of podcasting. That is my favorite part of doing all of this. Yeah, I used to climb up, hitch the horse up to the carriage, and <laughs> go to town. And... I can remember when blah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Two guys talking American graffiti. The concept of cruising. I don't think this is as much disappeared and gone as it has morphed. Because there are still, what do they call it where they get a big bunch of cars and go car, car cruise, cruise? Car show, car cruise. Car cruise. There are still those, and they're reasonably orchestrated, but is definitively not, okay, it's Friday, time to go cruising. It is not that, especially in the places that I remember there was cruising going on when I was a kid. Highway 100 inside of, just outside of Brookfield, Wisconsin, inside of Milwaukee, was the place to go and cruise. And it was. It was the same, I don't know. 50, 100 cars that would run around until the police either chased them away or they were threatened with violence from a friend. That or maybe some of this peer violence that we talk about when you screw up somebody else's interior. <laughs> uh, but well, it, it is completely morphed into something different now. The only thing I can really graft it towards is the, either the orchestrated car crews or when you've got the 30 motorcycles that all get together and drive within 300 feet of each other. That's kind of all that's left of all of this. I, I really don't see anything else that's like that. Well, see, when I was in high school, cruising was like the iPhone today. Mm-hmm. You, we didn't have cell phones or mobile phones. You either went to a phone booth or somebody's house. And What's that's a phone how, booth, right? That's where Superman changes his clothes. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. Okay, got it. <laughs> that, but, Superman wardrobe, got it. You know, that's how you get you know, you cruise. Okay, there, you know, there's Glenn, there's Kenny, there's you know, all around. You know, or have you seen them? No, they or they went through five minutes ago. They'll be back in a little bit. And and then you know, always messing with Officer Brockmeyer, which is a security guard at Steak and Shake. We mm-hmm. mess with him all the time. Back, was the security guard armed at Steak and Shake back then? Yeah. He, Were there he, any shootings? No. Oh, okay, just checking. Not that I was involved with anyway. <laughs> But we did have to go to court for we did we did have to go to court for trespassing at stake. Trespassing, yeah. yep, yeah. and that's essentially what it would turn into. It would turn into, uh, you know, you need to stop, uh, you need to stop cruising right here, and then it would turn into, if you come back on the lot, you're going to be trespassing. Okay, fine, we're going to yeah, leave. You, you have to have you had to have something from Steak and Shake. Yes, you that was just, the other, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could just so, go to another restaurant. Now he, you know, 
like one time they were towing our buddy's car and, and we pulled up right when they were towing what it. What kind of car do you have? Oh, uh, it was like a Le Mans or something. And oh, so Le Mans, we got there. The bastion of, of car cruising. We got there and <laughs> they they let it down and we still had to give him a couple bucks and, and Officer Brockmeyer says, Don't you guys leave your cars abandoned here? So we go through, take my old fair lane, go through, get a soda, tuck my buddy John in the back seat on the floor, cover him up, park the car, get out and drive away. Well, Officer Brockmire, he comes running over there right away. I got him now, finally. And then John pops up, Officer Brockmire, what are you doing? <laughs> Not happy. And <laughs> I then see, there was see. always the poor of shame back then, too. Oh, yeah. He got caught with, with beer. Uh-huh. He had two choices. You could dump it out, sitting on the curb in front of Steak and Shake with all your buddies driving by laughing at you and pointing you out and everything. Or you could let the policeman take it, and they'd always tell you, well, you can have your dad come down to the station and pick it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's going to happen. Yeah, because the beer will always make it back to the station. Yeah. Pristine. Got it. Got it. <laughs> that's interesting. What, what do you remember about back then, Mike, cruising? Well, cruising, I mean, that that's what, you know, when I was in high school, that's what you did. You know, you, you had your job. You worked part-time on Saturday. If you were lucky enough not to work Saturday night, you'd get home Saturday afternoon. I ran around with a bunch of gearheads, so it was – your car got scrubbed yeah. top to bottom. It was detailed to the max, mm-hmm. and then that's what you did. You went out with your buddies, and you started cruising. We just, like, like in my area, I grew up in Florissant. You cruised from McDonald's to Cross Keys all the way down to Village Square where the putt-putt was, mm-hmm. turned around and came back up Lindbergh, and that's what you cruised. And the more unique, the nicer the car you had, the more the cops knew who you were. Interesting. I'm familiar with that area mostly because it's where my first job was here in St. Louis. I worked for an interpreting agency. It was right there at... Uh, let's see, Lindbergh and Washington, mm-hmm. uh, just tucked in there behind, uh, right in front of that uh, big old white church that's in there somewhere. Totally familiar with that area, and it is built for cruising. There is not a lot of turn turnaround ability except at the ends. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so it is. It's built for cruising. And that, that guides me into where I was, too. Again, High 100 in Greenfield inside of, it was Milwaukee proper, but was close enough that it didn't matter. And that's what it was. There was this long enough stretch. There was a determined turnaround point. There were at least eight to ten different places you could stop and buy something. That or stop in the, the, the big get out was, well, no, we're going back to Blockbuster to find another video. <laughs> and so that was the easy one there. How, how do you go, well, no, you may not go and buy stuff. Well, they couldn't ever say that. So that was, uh, that was very valuable and totally time-consuming inside of the habit that is unfortunately dying, the concept of cruising. I think it also is what uh, gloms me onto car shows now. Car shows are not just a phenomenon where I get to go take my 1974 custom Super Beetle with a recording studio built into the front and go places with it. It's become a time machine for me. I can go to any really good car show and I can both revel in myself but also my 12-year-old can look at the span of where cars were and where they're going. Uh, it's why I participate in Chair One over at, uh, not too far from here, it's over at EPC, over at ClassicCarFest.com. And it is, I think, the largest span of cars that you can go and see, from, you know, Model A's to a car that came off the assembly line last week. You can see everything in between, cars, trucks, motorcycles, whatever. And that's what it does for me. It is a, it is a time machine. And I think it's the same thing that happens with this. It allows you to go back, remember, and then bathe in that nostalgia we were talking about earlier inside the program. Car shows are still big. Like, I know my favorite restaurant, JJ's, they mm-hmm. have a car show second Saturday 
of every month during the summer, and they're packed. Yeah, and the one out, the JJs, another JJs out by me, they have one. I think it's every weekend through the summer months. Well, they have it every weekend. It, it's either every weekend or every other weekend. Yeah. Well, the one in Saint Charles only does it the second second weekend of the month. Second weekend of the month. Maybe it is monthly. At the bottom line, no matter when a car show is, it's something you should definitely not only get out to and experience, but help foster and sponsor them because those two eventually will die without the the fostering and the push to now newer generations that do not have the same appreciation looking at something like a car show that the three of us do. They don't. Uh, Many times it's a car, right, but where's my Angry Birds? Or, right, but, you know, I got to go get with my friends. We got to go do something. And that time machine aspect gets lost if it's not fostered. It's definitely got to be fostered. Is the Easter show at Forest Park still the biggest one? It's massive. It's pretty big. It's yeah. pretty big. EPC has one. Fast Lane, have, they have a car show every Memorial Day weekend, and yeah. that gets pretty big. Yeah. We'll link to a bunch of car shows locally here inside of our area, and we'd appreciate it if you'd tell us and take pictures of the ones that you go to and share them over at twoguystalkingcars.com. Dun, 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 so we come to the part of the Two Guys Talking Cars perspective review of American Graffiti where we rate this film. American Graffiti, 1973, directed by George Lucas, starring a bunch of baby actors and a ton of steel. The way the scale works is this. We go from 1 to 10. Everything starts at 7 as average. For all the goods, you add on numbers. For all the bads, you take off numbers. And you can't have halvesies. Ron, where do you got it? American Graffiti, 1973. As, as the entire movie? Yes. I think the movie was average, so seven. Seven, okay. And why? Tell me why. It just it wasn't that great a movie. This really I, is a revel in the cars moment, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it was all about the cars and the music for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't care about the characters or anything, and what the cast turned into from this a, rel- a bunch of relatively unknowns, Nobody's, right? Mm-hmm. To, to Oscar-winning, Globe, Golden Globe TV series. Mm-hmm. I mean, Suzanne and the director, Suzanne Summers. Mm-hmm. Actually, Suzanne Summers is someone you didn't really talk about. I think mostly because if you didn't read the credits, you'd never know it was her. Yeah, well, I don't. Even, she's only got a couple lines. If does she have any lines? Or she's just on the a phone. couple. Yeah, she's okay. on the phone a couple of times, but that's it. She went on to Three's Company and Thigh Masters and mm-hmm. and Face Masters, and I'm not sure yeah. what the hell happened there, but <laughs> yeah, it's there. Well, good seven seven for Ron. Mike, what do you got this movie at? I think it's a little above average. I'd call it an eight. Okay, you know, Tell simply me why. because I like the music. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a huge to use Barry McGuire's phraseology. I'm a huge car guy. I I just love them. I love the old cars. Mm-hmm. Which car if you if you had to have one of these that you had the keys to, which one would you take? I want Steve's car. Steve's car. Yeah, okay. I want and why? The 58. It's just the car. I just it's a it's a one year body it's, style. It's something. It's just something about that car I like. And you don't see very many of those either. They're they're very they're very rare. I mean, if you get one. They're probably a thirty or forty thousand dollar car, and if you're lucky enough to find a convertible complete, you're talking sixty, seventy, eighty, wow. up up over a hundred thousand. I've seen them before. Wow, you know, but I just like it. I mean, I've I've always said, if somebody would ever invent a time machine, that's where I'd go. Back to the fabulous fifties. Not the, the making of the fives. movie, but the actual goings on of what they're showing here, right? Yeah, I mean, just the whole <laughs> the whole experience. I mean, I just you know, we I kind of came in on a tail end of. The cruising and the you know the whole thing because mm-hmm. I mean, that was on its way out mm-hmm. as I was 
graduating high school and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I hang around some of the older guys that used to cruise in Florissant. And there used to be a steak and shake in Florissant right there in Lindbergh. And that was the place to be. And, and where on Lindbergh was there a steak and shake? That was right there across from the Deerbergs right now. There used to be a steak and shake in there. Okay. And during the mid-70s. Uh, and is that where that yogurt place used to be, right in that little area? No. No, there used to be a Deerbergs. Sonic there. Sonic, okay. They tore that down. But, yeah, from from what I understand, that was the place to be on. Like Ron said, that was the place to be in Florida on a Saturday night was a Steak and Shake on Lindbergh. Interesting. Which car would you have if you had to have one of the cars, Ron? I, li- I always like the 55s. I don't know if it's because it's the year I was born or I just, I just like them. So that means that Bob Falfa's car is yours, is the one you jack yeah. from all that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like I like Milner's coupe, but... I, I'm not built for a coupe. <laughs> I need a little more. Uh, Big ass suicide I need, doors I need, on I need it. leg room. <laughs> <laughs> leg room, awesome. Well, I, I think I, the, the neat part about this film is that, again, it offers you a complete perspective of baby actors that were literal nobodies except for Richie, or rather Ron Howard inside this film. Even um, Harrison Ford was not giant name actor yet inside this film. It didn't make him one. Or Richard Dreyfus, Or Richard Dreyfus, right, who is also another favorite actor. Um, his politics lean completely opposed to mine, but I, I really do enjoy watching him in a movie. Jaws is the stuff of legend for me, and him in that movie, as well as uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, are epic actors' stores. Just great stuff. Uh, Mr. Holland's Opus Stand is another one. Stand By Me. Stand By Me. Although he, all he has is a narration role, toward, except towards the end. Yeah. He's a phenomenal actor. It's great to see all those seed moments, especially inside this movie. I love looking at the cars because, uh, again, it's a time machine. Any movie like this, even the the new movies like the Fast and Furious films, I love watching those because they'll give you another vision of what was that they've turned cars into, but then also now, what is being propelled now inside of cardom because it really is a completely different world. It's not just different propulsion. It's different makeup materials. It's carbon fiber anything you can imagine that can be different is now different and it's fun to watch the contrast of those things and people that don't know about them find out about them i love that well it's like the new ford trucks all aluminum yeah yeah that's just a little lighter when you push them yeah yeah thank you for crapping on ford again that's great ron (laughs) thank you (laughs) the the knockdown drag outs of this movie though are one the story is super light for three people writing this story and fleshing out the characters, quote-unquote, wow, it's a rough you, one to watch. But you know what? Every character in there, I knew somebody who was that character. True, true. And I do I do have to give all three of the writers, not just George Lucas, but the other two writers, that they were able to grab a slice of somebody that I knew. I'll, 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 get, I'll, I'll get on board with that. Yeah. Into each of the characters. Definitely had that. The other big speed bump for me, of course, is look at Richie Cunningham. Except that it's not Richie Cunningham. No. Uh, that was that's the biggest speed bump, I think. And we'll see that, that I, you I just, saw him I, backwards. I, I know. I, I just I so wish that I would have had somebody else in there that I would have liked to have disliked, because I think it would it would have driven it. In fact, it's kind of strange. I, I don't think this. Pharaohs. Well, I I didn't mind the pharaohs. I thought the pharaohs were kind of interesting. They were busy robbing people, but hey, they were interesting. Hey, and, and that car, car, and car shot flames. Yeah, so. that that car alone actually was just ridiculously awesome inside this film. So, uh, all things said, the pluses, the minuses, the cars, Richie Cunningham, I'm going to have to give this movie a six. 
And that's where we ask you guys, what did you think of American Graffiti, 1973, directed by George Lucas? Let us know what you think by going to our Facebook presence. That's facebook.com forward slash two guys talking. That's the number two guys talking. And start a new thread there, that or chime in on one that's there. And tell us what you thought of American Graffiti, 1973. So until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of you. Oh, wait a second. We forgot to talk about the franchise. No, you we know didn't. about the franchise, don't you, Mike? No. Okay, well, we good. We didn't forget. We, we actually didn't forget, but we're going to tuck it in here anyway because every perspective review has the franchise. It's what makes a piece of the property. So inside the franchise aspects, we have, unfortunately, because of all the money that this film made, a sequel. And do you know what it's called, Ron? Not really. Wasn't it Cruising Again or something like that? No, it's called Shouldn't Have Been Made. Dot <laughs> <laughs> com. <laughs> it is a terrible movie and something I've only seen 10 or 15 minutes of and that can tell you where it took me inside of the experience. If you can't capture me after watching this, then you've got a real problem. Um, we are going to link up the details so that you can go and explore more of that inside of the franchise listing here for this listing over at twoguystalkingcars.com forward slash American Graffiti. But we do not officially recommend watching the sequel to American Graffiti. So until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm Ron Ryling, your other host. I'm Mike Mullenkamp, Gary's Auto Service, your guest host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. So that's the nuts and bolts for this episode of TwoGuysTalkingCars.com. Did you like what you heard? Ready to talk to us about the cars that make you feel special and evoke memories from times long gone by? Contact us by visiting twoguystalkingcars.com. That's the number two, guystalkingcars.com. There you can interact with us on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us via iTunes and make your opinions known so we can share them in our season-ending all-fan input episode where you become the star of twoguystalkingcars.com. Thanks for listening, and remember, always get your motor running with Two Guys Talking Cars. Two Guys Talking Cars.